Please turn in your scriptures to the Gospel of Luke. We're continuing our series, what we've entitled The Parables of the Kingdom for Luke, the Gospel writer, in preserving many of these parables that Jesus taught, these small stories with uh, a spiritual punchline and message for us, uh, has encouched all of them in this language of the kingdom, which we'll see in our parable this morning. Before I read chapter 15, and I'll be reading all of it uh, with you this morning, let me share a story that will introduce this, and then I'll pray prior to reading the scripture. I mentioned a few weeks ago that I contracted poison ivy. I'm highly allergic to it, so if it a little bit gets on me, it tends to spread, and that I had to, for the first time in many years, remove my wedding ring. And I was very aware, once I got my wedding ring off because of the poison ivy that was on my finger, where I placed it so that it would be there when I returned. But a friend of mine, an acquaintance, shared recently where he takes his wedding ring off each night due to swelling in his fingers. Places it on his nightstand, and then when he gets up in the morning, he places it back on. One morning, to his horror... The wedding ring was missing. It was not on the nightstand. Now, he's an older gentleman like me, and so he's used to losing things. But losing your wedding ring when you're older is a cause of panic. And his wife observed as as his horror turned to panic, as he looked and searched and scrambled and broke out into a cold sweat, And couldn't find it. Finally, he turned to her and said, Dear, I won't mention her name. Do you know where my wedding ring is? And she smiled and says, Yes. I hid it from you. I wanted to see how hard you would look for it. To know whether it was still valuable to you. We're about to read a parable We're not one, not two, but three precious items are lost and the person, the main character of the parable, searches diligently till he or she finds it. That's our story this morning in the parable of the prodigal sons. Let's pray and then I'll read Luke chapter 15. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege to hear from your word. I pray, Lord, in that this is not only a famous parable, but a familiar one, that, Lord, you would remind us what we have forgotten, and more importantly, Lord, we would encounter you anew in the pages of Scripture. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors... And sinners were all drawing near to Jesus to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. 
And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then he said this. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the young son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everywhere, everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this is my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered him, look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost 
and is found. Thanks be to God for his word. These three parables are well known to many of us. The parable of the lost sheep, which opened the chapter, the parable of the lost coin, and certainly the parable of the prodigal son and the his older brother, perhaps the most famous, perhaps the most well-known in all the world, is our text this morning. Ironically, although it be famous, Luke is the only gospel writer that records it. And equally astonishingly, Luke is the only non-Jewish writer of the New Testament who provides it for us. Perhaps that is why he notes in verse 1 and to the context of the most famous parable known to Christ. Verse 1. Look with me again if you have your text in front of you. Now, tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to Jesus to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Here's my outline this morning. I want to tell you one thing we need to know in order to understand the purpose of these parables. One thing. And then, two things we ought to know about God, which the parable of the lost sons reveals. And then, two or three things we should consider to do in response to that. The one thing we need to know about the parable of the lost sons and the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin is its context. As I've heard the other pastors say when they give messages here, context is king when it comes to interpreting God's word. And so we need to know the context in order to understand the parable that is both familiar and famous to us. I think for a young believer, perhaps you are new to the Christian faith, this parable is, is foundational. In other words, we can, we can build our lives on it in ways that will hold and carry a lot of freight for us. For those of us that are older Christians, I would count myself in that category This parable is often forgotten due to its familiarity. And so it is good for us to consider afresh its context so that its message, which is foundational, shapes our priorities, shapes not only our personal relationship with Christ if we're Christian, but reminds us of God's relationship with us. As his people. Here's the context. Tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to Jesus to hear him. And the religious leaders of the Jewish nation, the Pharisees and the scribes, were muttering, grumbling, Luke says, this man receives sinners and eats with them. 
That word sinners is a general term. It can mean common people, non-Pharisees people, people who are not scrupulous in their religious traditions or following the, the details of the Mosaic law. It can also be a general term which describes people who are not walking in God's ways at all. And so for the original audience, for, for, for Jewish people who had turned aside from Judaism at that time. It's a broad category. Tax collectors, that's a narrower category. Especially in those times. The Roman Empire did not want to own its own tax collection. So they would hire out locals to collect taxes in the empire. Those those hired tax collectors would have the power of Rome to collect it. Often a, a garrison of soldiers would would support them. The problem is that tax collectors in this context were Jewish and they would often cheat and swindle and steal from those they collect taxes from and become rich as a result of it. Zacchaeus, who Luke talks about in this gospel, was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He lived in Brookline. He had season tickets. He ate at five-star restaurants. So you had sinners who were more likely than not poor and tax collectors who were wealthy listening to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders of that day, grumbled against Jesus saying, look at him. This group that is listening to him, he receives them. He he eats meals with them. I saw him at Starbucks using the church credit card buying coffee for them. Those notorious tax collectors and those non-Jewish following people, those sinners seem to enjoy Jesus and more scandalous, he seems to enjoy keeping company with them. That's what we have to understand. The context. If we're to make sense of the parable, the most famous parable, the most well-known parable, is it's given in earshot of the muttering disapproval of the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Well, what do we learn about God then? Well, the first thing we learn about God, and Jim, this is my first point, is that people are lost without Him. People are lost without Him. Being lost and then being found in Luke's gospel is metaphors for not knowing or being in a relationship with the living God and then being brought into, found, and enjoying a flourishing, fruitful relationship with God. In the first story we read, didn't we, the story of a a shepherd that loses one sheep. Verse 4, 
What man among you if he loses one sheep? In the second parable, we're introduced to a woman who loses a coin, verse 8, or what woman who loses a coin doesn't search diligently for it. And then we get to the story of the prodigal son and the, the, his elder brother, a father. Although the main character of each story, you could argue, and many pastors have, that God is like the shepherd, God is like in attitude and action the mother, God is like uh, the father. The analogy really is about the attitude and actions of all three as it describes God's attitude and actions towards the lost. People are lost without God. And therefore, my second point, God still seeks out sinners and rejoices when they return to him. Friends, as we read this parable this morning, let me ask you, and I'm asking myself a question of well. Do you have a category for being lost when it comes to your relationship with God? Secondly, do you have a category for being lost when it comes to your relationship with others? The first one, do I have a category for being lost when it comes to my relationship with God? Prior to hearing and understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ, I didn't have a category for being lost. I was quite self-assured and self-confident. I was found. I was true to myself. I listened to myself. And I was going to be my real self in unfettered ways. And then I heard the message through some friends about Jesus Christ from the scriptures and his claim that not only he was God's son, but that he was the savior who died in my place for the forgiveness of my sins. Those, those transgressions that I committed against God and those actions I did against others that grieve God and that it rendered me, here you go, lost in my relationship towards him. I didn't have a category for being lost prior to being a Christian because I didn't have a category for being found. In other words, that God was seeking after me. As a Christian follower now, now going on almost three decades, I know by the dark color of my hair, you're surprised I could be that old. Too often... I do not have a category for others being lost as well. In my family or in my workplace or in my community. And like me, prior to becoming a Christian, having that category reminds me of the mercy and compassion of God in seeking after me in the first place. And it is now a catalyst in my own soul to be one who seeks with compassion and mercy towards others God puts in my path to introduce them to a relationship with Christ as well. 
these parables taken together reveal to us that God seeks out sinners and rejoices when they return to him. He is active in not only searching out the lost, but when he finds one and they return to him, he rejoices. Did you notice as we read these parables, the joy that the shepherd feels when he leaves the 99 and finds the lost sheep? Verse 5, and when he has found it, he rejoices. And then he comes home, calls together his friends, and says, rejoice with me. Or the parable of the lost coin, verse 9. And when she has found it, she rejoices, it says, together with her friends and neighbor. And then in the parable of the, the lost son, he rejoices, verse 22, through giving to his returned son a robe and a ring and killing the fattened calf and celebrating, saying, This son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Here then is the major theme of these parables taken together that Jesus introduces to us in this parable of the kingdom. That the God of Christianity is a God who not only seeks out sinners but rejoices when they are restored to him. In my neighborhood, I imagine this is true for you, I see on telephone poles signs of animals, pets, typically dogs, uh, that have been lost by their owners. They're sad signs. Uh, There's usually a picture of the, the pet. Um, with the name of the pet inscribed underneath it, and then a phone number or an email where you can um, you can contact them if you find the animal. Occasionally, I hear that the animal was found and that the owner was exuberant in it being returned. But more often than not, the signs seem to stay on the telephone pole for a long time until they're faded and somewhat worn, never removed. And we're never told if the animal was found and restored to its owner. But you're left to assume perhaps it wasn't and the sadness that must have brought too. Did you notice that not only is God seeking and rejoicing, but in these parables... His joy goes public. It's public. There's a party that is thrown. There's a celebration that ensues. It's as if there's something wired in the the human heart, in the nature of joy that is meant to be shared, and it overflows. Jim, we can share that picture now. I didn't ask permission to share this picture but I imagine you'll recognize who's in the picture uh, behind me. That's Jacqueline. That's me. 
And that's about 2 million of our closest friends in 2018 when the Red Sox, hard to imagine today, when the Red Sox won the World Series. And we were ecstatic. She goes to school near Tremont, and we, we stood there on the common on top of one of those flower, whatever those things are, garden plots. And we had front row seats, if you will, as the Red Sox team went by that day. I noticed something, at least for me, I not only was excited as I saw the different fleepers go by in the, um, but I was looking around at the people with me, noticing their joy too. I was observing that when there's a celebration, it's not only something that you yourselves enjoy, but it's almost as if you want to share it with others. So you look to them and see how they're sharing it and you kind of enter into that moment. But it doesn't have to be a World Series parade. If you notice when you're watching a movie, and it's humorous, and people are laughing. More times than not, people turn their head to see what the other person's laughing about. Or when there's an exciting finish, the, the movie ends, the musical stops, and everyone's wiping away their tears, everybody's looking at each other's eyes saying, what a great story, what a, what a wonderful finish. Each of these parables triggers a public celebration, which begs the question, What in God's kingdom, what in these parables, what in Jesus himself triggers heaven itself to rejoice? It should shock you. It shocks me too. Repentance. Repentance. When one sinner repents, the angels in heaven Rejoice when the prodigal son, the son who leaves his home and takes his inheritance prematurely and turns his back on his family and spends it in reckless living, comes to his senses and returns to the father, confessing what he's done is wrong and and asking forgiveness and seeking restoration. There's joy. There's celebration. What triggered it? Repentance. Repentance. Repentance is one of those words that, at least in my thinking, often gets a bad rap. I tend to associate it with doing something really, really bad. And then getting caught. Perhaps being ashamed to a degree. But nonetheless, there's some public accountability. And then, yes, reluctantly turning and changing my ways. But in in the scriptures, repentance is actually an expression of God's grace in someone's life. It means they've, they've come to a new perspective about their lives and their relationship with the Lord. And they come to a new resolve where, where they find a willingness to, to confess what they've done was wrong to the Lord and to seek His forgiveness. And they find in God a, a storehouse of compassion and mercy and forgiveness that overflows in the restoration of the humble penitent. And it results in joy. Repentance is the key to joy in the parable of the prodigal son. And it unlocks not only joy in heaven. Friends, my last point, joy awaits you too. On the other side of repentance. 
it awaits me as well. When I have a change of heart and a change of mind that leads to appropriate action where I've acted in a way, maybe in a small way, it may not be in a way that is as, I don't know, TMZ worthy as what the prodigal did. Where I have said through my actions, God, I'm going to do it my way. This COVID thing, this, this pandemic thing, all this uncertainty, I really, I resent your reign right now. And I, I am just going to do it my way. Or I'm going to do what I want to do, and you or nobody else is going to tell me differently. Or, maybe more subtly in my life, I'm disappointed. This isn't what I signed up for. These outcomes aren't what I, I planned for. And I'm just, I'm going to be half-hearted in my seeking of you. And over time, I just discover I may even have drifted from seeking you first. I'm really not submitted in a faithful way to your reign. And then, that new perspective comes. We hear from Hebrews 6 and these songs Jim so sensitively led us through and artfully when, the, when it collapsed, carefully led us through of a God who seeks us first and in mercy loves us and willingly forgives us on the foundation of what Jesus accomplished in his death and resurrection. And we act in faith towards him as we pursue restoration from him. It may result in a conversation first. It may result in reflection first. But bottom line, repentance is not regret. Repentance is a response to God's gracious activity in your life. When you realize you're not submitted to him in some way that is not right or even harmful or unwise to you. And you say, oh God, I was wrong. You were right. I want your ways, not my ways. I trust you, not myself. I own it. And I look to you for everything I lack. And God delights in it. And there is joy for us on the other side of it. Friends, people are lost without God. But the scriptures reveal that God seeks out sinners and rejoices when they return to Him. In fact, He delights in our repentance. Joy awaits us on the other side. Has anything diminished the joy of repentance in your daily walk with God? I'm asking myself that question this week, and I think there are some things that I need to have a conversation with God over. How long has it been since the gift, the grace of repentance in your life was the basis for a celebration of God's work with others in your life? How long has it been since the gift the grace of repentance in your life was the basis for celebration of God's work in your life. That's really what we're celebrating when we celebrate the Lord's table. We're celebrating the free gift of Jesus for the sinner's forgiveness and our repentance in receiving his kingdom. 
Coming to our senses, a new perspective. Bearing fruit with repentance, a new resolve. And walking it out for the joy. To see this repentance and God's delight in it. Sometimes it's not by identifying with the prodigal, is it, in the story. It's by identifying with the oldest brother. It's by realizing that I've been faithful, but I resent, in some level, God's reign and rule in my life. And I'm not happy about it. Did you notice how the older brother talked about his brother? When the father says, your brother, the older brother says, this son of yours. And he's the Christian in the story. (laughs) Oh, I identify with him. Every time I see another Christian or church ministry or something I desire seemingly flourishing. And I'm being called faithfulness. I'm being called to faith in the absence of evidence. This is making any difference at all. Oh, I'm the older brother. When my spouse, who has been so patient with me, reminds me that I'm being a turkey again, that's just code for being a jerk. Selfish, rude, self-centered. I resent it at first. I feel like I'm Mr. Wonderful to be married. You've got it good, honey. What do you mean? I haven't made the bed in 10 months and leave my clothes all over the house. She didn't say that. I'm the older brother. I resent. Where, my friend... Might God this week be leading you back to this almost familiar and famous of passages to identify with either or both and to find in it that without God you're lost, but God says to you, I'm still seeking you. I'm the good shepherd that leaves the 99 and goes after you. I rejoice in finding you and my delight is when you turn and confess and repent. Joy, my joy, awaits you on the other side. We serve a God. We worship a God. We rejoice in a God who sent His Son to find the lost in order to rejoice when they return to God. Jesus came to find the lost and rejoices when we return to God, when they return to God, because people are lost without Him. But God delights in their repentance and restoration for the glory of this kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, which is not only compelling in its imagery, 
but practical. And therefore, as Dave prayed earlier, hope giving in our taking it up, reflecting on it, having a conversation with you, and responding to it. Lord, lead us in this joy through repentance. And help us, Lord, have compassion and mercy on those we serve and love that are lost and await to be found by you. To you be the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.